0: Yehuda Gebru with another um, podcast, Jewish History Soundbites, and tonight being that it's Chai Sivan, um, which is the yard site of Rabbi Rucham Lavovitz, the mashgiach in the Mir Yeshiva, in the pre-war Mir Yeshiva in Poland. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about his educational uh, philosophy and methodology because uh, what one of the Main and primary ways he's remembered is as an educator, as a great mechanic of his students. Um, he said about himself once um, he met he 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 said he said this he wrote this it was written about him that he met the altar of Navardic or of Yezel Horowitz during World War One, and the altar of Navardic was in the process of of building yeshivas of the Navardic network. And they were very active in uh, building new yeshivas all over um, Russia at the time. And he said to Rabbi Rucham Lavavitz, this past year I built 40 new yeshivas. How many have you built? And Rabbi Rucham Lavavitz said, responded to him, "Um, it's amazing that you were able to build 40. I have not yet finished building one, which very much uh, personified his way, was that he uh, spoke to the individual. He very much molded and catered each individual Talmud, each student of his, in a very, in a very wise and penetrating way. And a mechanech of his stature, would he he would use many tools to, to bring across his his point that he wanted. He didn't um, just use a standard text or a standard format. He used very creative ways to keep his students' interest. And if that was said in regards to his shmuzen for the whole Yeshiva, it was even more pronounced in his private Chumash Yurim that he gave to the students from what, what I called in an earlier podcast, the Bnei Chutz Laaretz, the ones from America and Germany and other countries around the world that he gave special Chumash Yirim to that were on a more basic level to instill in them the ideals of Yiddishkeit and Yeriz And in those Chumash Yirim was even more creative and he used even more um, different type of ideas uh, to bring in, to give get his lesson across. And that's exactly what I want to speak a little bit about uh, t- tonight um, is is what type of um, g- examples of very interesting and off the beaten track what we would not always expect of a mashgiach of his stature to bring into a shmuz or to bring into a chumash here. And it comes out in several different ways. On um, a more basic way, which is, is quite understandable and quite common. It's not so surprising that he would use this as a as a, uh, a chinech lesson. Um, he talked about his years in the Kelm Yeshiva. He felt that his years in Kelm was what modeled him as a person and as a Balmusser. And he would very often speak about his years in Kelm. And in one Chumashir, he digresses from his lesson and says, bekelm. I, I was educated in Kelm and the primary... Uh, educational philosophy that we had in Kelm was say there, was orderliness. And he starts bringing a whole slew of stories about the altar of Kelm and his orderliness and the way when he would put on his hat in the morning, he wouldn't move it from that the rest of the day and so on and so forth, which is really a story about Kelm. But he goes on, really literally a story hour and goes on to tell a bunch of stories about what it was like in Kelm. He once describes his in a very detailed way, it describes the Chavrusa that he had with Reb Naftali Shrop in Kelm. And he says how he challenged him to, to uh, when he asks, asked a question that the Rashba had asked. And he says, so what do you think the answer is? And Reb Naftali uh, would try to guess what the answer is. And Reb Rucham said, nope, guess again. And would think and guess again. And then he says, nope, guess again. And Reb Naftali thought a third time and provided a third solution to the question, and then Rabbi Rucham opened up the Rashba and says, "Look, Rabbi Naftali, because I withheld the information from you, and I forced you to think, you were able to say three answers that directly and exactly corresponded. You were mechaven, to the three answers that the Rashba himself gave, and that's another very live uh, um, story that he relates from Kelm. He he said a story um, about a fire." took place in Kelna. Fires took place in every Eastern European city. That was one of the features of life. You're talking about a uh, a area of the world where it was winter for at least half the year, if not longer. There were always ovens burning and all the houses are made out of wood. Bad recipe. And there were always fires. Periodically, pretty much every town in Eastern Europe. And it has nothing to do with Jews or non-Jews. It was uh, you know indiscriminate, obviously. And uh, there are always fires. So a lot of the stories and the folklore of Eastern European Jewish life are inevitably rela- inevitably related to various different fires that broke out. And he speaks about the fire in Kelm. And he was speaking about a true Balmusser, And he was speaking about a friend of his who he felt was a true Balmusser, And his friend said to him during the fire while they were trying to put it out and helping all the townspeople, and he said, to his friend says to him, you know, deep down what I'm thinking is that I wouldn't mind if the Talmud Torah of Kelm, the Yeshiva of Kelm, would burn down. And the reason he was saying that was because he was in, completely and purely in touch with himself, this Bal who remains unnamed in the source. And he, and he says, uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard work in the Talmud Torah of Kelm. It's hard work in Yeshiva. And deep, deep down, I don't want to do the hard work. So in a certain way, I want it to burn down. This way I won't have to work so hard and he was trying to bring out a Musr lesson from kelm and of course in many many other places he, there's no shortage of examples of of the stories that he brings from uh, his years in kelm and from that he he goes into other stories also there's various different times where he digresses into general stories both about jews and non-jews he says stories of uh, of tzaddikim, of gaddali Yisrael. he says so very often stories about the Chavetz Chaim, he says a story about the Chavetz Chaim where tragically one of his grandchildren had passed away and they were very um, getting ready for the Levaya, and everyone was busy and, and it was tragic, it was very sad. And the Chavetz Chaim at one point very calmly said, well, we have to prepare some food because everyone's going to be hungry, getting involved with the Levaya when we come back everyone's going to be starving and someone should cook up something to eat. And he related that story to illustrate how even at times of stress and even at times of distress and tragedy, but the Torah still requires a person to be healthy, take care of himself, and to be aware of the needs of others. And the Chavetz Chaim um, acted in that fashion by asking that food should be cooked, um, even at that time when everyone was busy with the Levaya. So he brings... Story, various different stories in uh, stories from the non-Jewish world. He says a story. Says he says in one place a half a century ago. Um, I don't know if you actually remembered it or if you read it somewhere. It doesn't say. And he says a half a century ago, the Kaiser Wilhelm uh, married off his daughter, and she's as a you know as a princess grows up in in royalty. And he says to his daughter before she gets married, he says, I want you to remember that the relationship between us has nothing to do with the kingdom, has nothing to do with royalty and the fact that you're a princess and I'm a king and I'm the Kaiser. It has to do with the fact that I'm your father and you're my daughter and the relationship should remain that way in a very simple familial sense. And again, he brought out a whole muser schmooz from that about how relationships work and about how simplicity is sometimes more valuable than all the complexities of a royalty uh, type of a relationship. And he he literally brings out um, stories from from all types of uh, angles. He speaks about Rabbi Sral Salanter and about how he had a child um, who went off the derech, we would say today. It was OTD. And uh, parenthetically, Rabbi Ruchem says in another place, he says, in today's day and age, everyone has, fa- every family, even the most chashiva families have children who went off and left the fold, and it's almost impossible to find a family that hasn't, and which is also a very revealing uh, aspect of society that he speaks out publicly again in his shmooze that he's saying. Ironically, by the way, he was one of the few that did not have that tragedy in his family. None of his children left the fold, although he did have siblings who, who left the fold, but he didn't have any children. But most other people did. surah Abishr El Salanter did, and and uh, and. And uh, Rabbi Rucham talks about a story of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter about how he was very concerned for his son's welfare when he was in St. Petersburg in the university and that he wrote a letter to someone who was going to hopefully watch over his son and he says it's a long detailed letter that he saw. Uh, Rabbi Rucham says he was reviewing, he was editing letters of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. Someone had asked him to do this work and he saw this letter and he says that the care... He said he didn't. He didn't give up on his son, no matter what he was doing. He said he was writing in this letter how we should at least try to get him not to do isurei so Maybe we can try to arrange for him to get kosher food, and even if he's only over isurei derabanan, it's it's not as bad. And maybe even certain isurei derabanan, we can help him out, and I can send him things, and we can arrange for things. And it's this amazing fatherly care of a son who had rebelled, and Rabbi Ruchim sees. A lesson in that as well, so he's he 's literally bringing from everywhere he goes into the non Jewish world into ancient history. he quotes Aristotle several times, he speaks about socrates death, which is a very famous. A piece of history, with how Socrates died and how he approached his death very calmly and comforted those that were crying and felt bad for him. And Rabbi Ruchim brings a whole lesson from the way Socrates, the great philosopher, died. He calls him Hachacham Socrates, the great wise man Socrates, which is also quite a... And then from the other end of the spectrum, you know, Rabbi Ruchim was a litvak in the uh, officially the Misnagdic world. And he quotes the Sifre Chasidim several times. He even quotes the Baal at least once. I think there might be even more than once. Um, he has no issue with quoting from that part of the world as well. He speaks about Copernicus. He speaks about uh, uh, Johann Wolfgang Goth, the famous uh, German artist, um, poet. Uh, he speaks about his, his poetry and how what he was as a person. Was he an anti-Semite? Was he not an anti-Semite? apparently that concerned Rabbi Rucham as well. And amazingly, he found a lesson in uh, in, um, in all of these things. Um, another aspect of of what Rabbi Rucham used to use as as also as not your standard type of muster schmooze, but he would bring it in as a lesson, was observations of life, the things that he himself observed. And he thought you could bring a lesson from there. Um, he speaks about going to to um, 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 uh, the springs, the uh, special health springs in Karlsbad, where he observed that people would would not unpack their suitcases, they wouldn't check into the hotel, they would go to right, right away to the sulfur baths and the mud baths and the special uh, spring water baths, whatever it was. Which obviously I don't know much about, and um, um, the meaning the chemical properties of what 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 the health was. And um, he speaks about how they use, they, he, he heard these visitors say when he was there in Carlsbad, he said, we have to utilize every minute that we have to go into these special healing waters and baths. We can't waste our time unpacking our suitcase and checking into the hotel. We have to run to the baths. And he speaks about utilizing time, either during El or during yeshiva years. And he uses that as his example. Um, He speaks about father and son quality time, and he brings in sports. He says he observes father and sons that their relationship is only through playing ball and sports. And he says they could really use their quality time to build relationships together and do things more productive together. And here their entire relationship is based on the rules of the game, which I don't know. Um, if he's saying that they shouldn't play ball altogether, doesn't say that, or or he's saying that that shouldn't be the basis of their entire relationship. I don't know. You not know how to take it, but he definitely brings that in as his uh, as his observation. He speaks about how the yeshiva. It was important that the yeshiva went out in Shabbos clothing to greet the president of Poland when he came to the Mir. I don't know if it was during an election season or not, and he. He says it was very appropriate that we get, because that's the covenant for Malchus, to come out with Shabbos clothing. And he says, but I still am critical of the yeshiva boys, because we didn't do what the women, the non-Jewish Polish women in Karelitz did. He said he heard that the non-Jewish women in Karelitz, when they came out, they surrounded the president's motorcade, and they lay down on the floor, and they said, we're not moving, and we're not letting the president go, unless he gives us what we need because only the president can provide us with our needs. And he says that's true COVID for Malchus, not just to show respect and stand up and go out in Shabbos clothes, but to ask for a Bakosha, because then you're showing that the Melech is the only one who can provide with what you need. So really he goes in all different areas and aspects. And what figures most prominently, interestingly enough, in all this is his, his relation to current events. He, at various times, speaks about anti-Semitism, the rise of Hitler, Soviet Jewry, the situation in at role with nationalism. He speaks about the rise of nationalism amongst nations in general. He speaks about the failure of the Versailles Treaty and the League of Nations and how they're not being so successful. He speaks about World War I and the travails of World War One and the lessons to be learned from World War I. He speaks about... Um, anti-Semitism in all kinds of respects. And in in that context of anti-Semitism, he very often mentions how he reads the newspaper. And he says, I read it in the evening, sometimes before I go to bed. And one time he mentions, I don't usually read the paper, but it happened to be, this looked like a good article. And he says, and they were talking about, they quoted, he says in this newspaper, particular newspaper that I was reading, they were quoting Der Stiermer, which was the infamous Nazi newspaper of Julius Streicher, Um, um, and he says all the um, anti-Semitic terrible things that they say about the Jews, and he tries to explain anti-Semitism, and he tries to explain Hitler's place, and he says Hitler, he compares Hitler to Haman, and he says he's getting worse and worse all the time, and it's very interesting. Er Reuchem dies in 1936, which is three years after, three and a half years after Hitler comes to power, but it's still three full years, more than three years before World War II, way before the Holocaust begins, but he already sees, like most other people at the time, the rise of anti-Semitism and his anti-Jewish policies in Germany, and that already is a cause for a concern. Um he um he he speaks about the elections in Poland and about how we shouldn't be too occupied with the Aguda and too concerned about the Aguda's wins or losses in the elections. And he says the yeshiva guys are getting too involved, and it's not good that the yeshiva guys are involved. They think it's such a big mitzvah to help the aguda win the elections take it easy relax there are other things that are more important than life and really he has all types of associations to, to current events it's fascinating the range of um of um of his of his interest in, in uh, current events he says um in uh, um in america the the anti immigration policy of the american government is like sdoim. He says Zdaim didn't want guests in their city. They wanted closed borders. So he says the Johnson Act passed in the United States Congress that restricted immigra- Jewish immigration from Eastern Europe. He says that's a terrible thing that the United States government did and he's protesting against it. <laughs> and that's the Mida of Zdaim. And he says and the other countries aren't that much better. But most people aren't allowing Jews to leave. And he wants um, more open borders and more immigration. And a couple of fascinating um, uh, references to current events that we'll end off with. One is he talks about communism and, he's, and he talks about that the fact that communists believe in no owners, private ownership of property. And he says these people feel like they're so liberal and there's really no ownership and everyone's together. He says if there's no ownership, it's just a way to steal from one another and the stronger are going to steal from the weak. That's what's ultimately going to happen. And he was very much proven, right? He says the correct and teyridic way is that there is such a thing as private ownership. He talks about a Kenyan, and the Torah believes that a Kenyan makes it that it's part of the person himself, his rechush, his property is part of him and there is such a thing as private ownership and we can't negate that, we can't pretend it doesn't exist and he says people today believe that they can do away with private ownership and they're very much mistaken. And maybe, and this is my personal favorite, but maybe one of the most interesting um, um references to current events and he speaks about a famous Jewish athlete. There was a famous Jewish athlete at the time named um named uh, uh, um, Zisha Breitbart Zisha Breitbart was a folk hero to the Jews of Poland. He grew up in of next to Ludge in a from home and he was in a in a family of blacksmiths. He was a big burly guy and he had an amazing talent that he developed of supernatural strength and he would be able to pull wagons with his teeth and sit on his back uh, his back on nails and have people ride over him in, in motorcycles and 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 lift weights and and split steel beams with his bare hands and, and all kinds of crazy stuff that, that that I mean we could speak about Zisha Bright part itself is an interesting fascinating story He became a superhero throughout the world, he was known as the Jewish uh, Mighty Man, Strong Man, and he went on circuses and and and, and all over the world in Europe and, and and the United States and 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 everywhere um, with all his feats that he was able to do. He was he held he held a he 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 held an elephant in one hand and he was climbing a ladder and at the same time he held a train wheel that three people were holding onto and he was suspending it by his teeth. He was literally insane. He died tragically at a young age um, through an accident of one of his antics. And Rabbi Rocham references him in a shmooz. Rabbi Rocham discusses how um, this great Jewish athlete named Zisha Breitbart was able to sit with his back on a bunch of nails and people stepping on him and nothing happened. He said, you see the strength that you have from that, and he brings out a whole Musa concept about uh, about what a person's inner strengths are and his inner resolves are and what a person can do with those inner strengths that he has and reach very great places in Musa and in spirituality and whatever lesson he was trying to impart. But the idea that he brought in a famous Jewish athlete who was a hero and he knew that people might relate to him like that and he brings it in in a schmooze, um, this was actually a shmuz to the entire yeshiva, and it's just uh, ironic. I'm not sure even how many mashgichim would do that today. And, uh, and, and that's really because uh, Rabbi Ruchim was a mechanich, and whatever the lesson was, whatever it took to bring and impart that lesson, it was important to him to use all means. And z'chusayogin uh, aleinu, a great man who he could definitely talk much about, um, uh, and so on. Uh, But we'll leave it at that. Um, This was Yehuda Geber with a Jewish History Soundbites uh, podcast. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Don't miss an episode of our podcast. If you enjoy, give a five-star rating. Share with friends and family. You can follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites. And of course, if there's any questions, comments, sources, every single one of the sources I said today is in the writings of Rabbi Rucham, that his son wrote down of his Shmuzan. i happy to share the sources. And uh, if you want to book tours uh, to any of these places to hear about these great people, you can email me, ygebss at gmail.com, and we hope you enjoy.